Good morning, my brothers and my sisters. Praise God. Ian and I are excited. It's Tuesday. And every Tuesday, by the grace of God, we come into your homes, perhaps into your cell groups, and as we often believe and pray for, perhaps even into your church. It's a delight, a joy, and an honor, a privilege to share God's holy word with you. Ian and myself believe that we are called for a time such as this to instruct the church, to give the church a better understanding of the baptism into the Holy Spirit. Thank God we speak in tongues. But as we do these studies, we are discovering that the baptism into the Spirit is more than just speaking in tongues. It has many other purposes. And if we discover these purposes and apply these purposes in our daily walk with God and in our relationship with the Spirit of God, God is going to give us not only understanding, but the power to do the work of God through the power and the anointing of the Spirit of God. Say amen, Ian. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Before I minister the Word of God to you this morning, Brother Ian had, had 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 a very busy week, and I want him to share very briefly on what he was doing the past weekend. Come, Brother Ian. A mighty man of God. Hallelujah. Yes, I did have a um, busy weekend. Um, it was more like a busy weekend, not a busy week. Um, during the weekend, I was helping at a conference called Momentum. Uh, down in South Auckland. Um, it was a great conference. We weren't big in number, but we were big in spirit. And um, during the conference, we had some great speakers uh, from overseas. Uh, we had a guy called Mark, um, no, Mike Francine, who has um, done a number of crusades overseas and spoken at a number of large gatherings to people. We had another guy called Gene Bailey, who's also a well-known speaker, especially in the United States. And we had a um, guy from the North Shore, a pastor called Don McDonnell from Inspire Church. And during the weekend, um, the vision was laid out about um, 2014 and touching every, um, about 3 million souls, people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that's exciting um, to see just what God is going to do in 2014. And um, if you're not already um, involved or um, thinking about, I encourage you to um, actively be involved. There's a website that's um, been set up called 2014. Um, that's 20, the word 20, and then the number 14.co.nz. So I encourage you to go there and just see what the vision is for 2014 and um, what God has in store for 2014 ahead. So without further ado, oh, also I had a um, Christian um, Ministry of the Disabled Trust um, Disability Awareness Service I helped with as well. Um, well, I videoed it actually. Um, had a great time just um, everyone seeing people with disabilities, um, worshipping the Lord and actively being involved with the service. Um, uh, also um, had a couple of deaths as well over the weekend. Um, 
So that was a bit sad, but um, praise God, they're going to glory. So without any further ado, I'll hand back to um, Joe. Amen. Thank you, Ian. The Saviour wants something done, find a busy man. Amen. <laughs> praise God. We're going to continue this morning with that topic, the baptism into the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And the topic we're going to deal with is discrimination. This is part two of the topic on discrimination. To my mind, one of the most controversial subjects that the modern day church is dealing with is the role of the woman in the church. Churches have split and are splitting over whether or not women are called to minister the word of God in public places, in the church or and we, that is Calvary Apostolic Ministries, have clearly shown that through the baptism into the Holy Spirit, God has endorsed an active ministry for women in the church. We use two scriptures that verify the role of the woman in the church, and that being Acts 2.17, and it shall come to pass, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Then Acts 2.18, And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. We further concluded that all those, whether male or female, who are baptized into the Holy Spirit, not only do they have the nature of Christ, but through the baptism into the Holy Spirit, they receive the ministry of Christ. And that being the threefold anointing of prophet, priest, and kings. Perhaps we should ask the question this morning, why is the ministry of women not accepted so readily in the church? Well, in my mind, and in Ian's mind, the answer is so simple. One of the reasons, and the ultimate reason perhaps, why many do not accept the ministry of women in the church these days, is simple. If they don't accept the ministry of the baptism into the Holy Spirit, with all its purposes, how then in the world can they accept the ministry of the woman in the church? It is the ministry of the Holy Ghost, the ministry of Jesus, through the, through the baptism into the Holy Spirit that releases women, releases men into an active ministry. So if we don't accept the baptism into the Holy Spirit, how then can we accept the ministry of a woman in the church mm. as such. Say something, Ian. I think there was a verse in the Bible somewhere um, that some of these um, churches use where it says that um, about a man's job in the church and that women should ask their husbands at home. We are going to deal with that this morning. That's the very verses I'm going to deal with today, Ian. Now, it is the baptism into the Spirit that nullifies any form of discrimination. 
You know, God is no respecter of persons. He uses the whosoever. He uses the man. He uses the woman. He uses the young and the old. But it is true, and it's sad, that even in Pentecostal charismatic circles, many still curtail the ministry of the woman. And I believe as long as the church restricts the role of the woman, they will retard the growth of the church. Every person born again, washed in the blood, baptized into the Spirit of God, is enlisted into the army of God. You know, it is sad. We, 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 we who are the church, we should set the pattern for the world. But it's sad how often the world sets the pattern for us. We reject any form of leadership towards women in the church. But you know when you consider the world, you find that the world these days are setting the pattern for the church. Instead of us being the leaders who sets the example for the world, the world sets now the pattern for us. And in regards to the role of women as leaders, it was none other than the world that set the pattern for us. Let me give you the example. Two great women that come to mind, Margaret Thatcher and uh, Indira, Indira Gandhi, I can't even pronounce the name. But these two women were prime ministers, namely of England and India. They were outstanding women. And if the world can accept women as leaders, why then can't the church? We should set the pattern for the world and not the world set the pattern for us. The attitude of the world is changing rapidly towards women and the role that women can play in the world. Several countries these days have women in their navies. Several countries these days have women in their armies. Why then does the church continue restricting women's involvement in the work of God? I believe that the church is not only a habitation of the Spirit, the temple of God, the bride of Christ, I also believe it's an army. And everyone born again of the Spirit should be enlisted into the army of God through the baptism into the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you the question. What has caused this attitude that restricts women from ministry in the church? This is my answer. The misunderstanding of certain scripture. The mere fact that we misunderstand certain scriptures restricts women in their role as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not only certain misunderstandings, but also 
isolating these scriptures, divorcing them from the whole Bible as such. And by using the word isolate, I'm simply saying that those who are against the ministry of women separate certain scriptures from the rest of the Bible in simple terms. They do not take a panoramic view of the Bible. They come to their conclusions by just cleaning and believing certain scriptures. And to come to a scriptural conclusion about women's ministries, we must base it on an all-round comprehensive study and not just on isolated scriptures. Let's study the way the Bible encourages us to study. There, there is a particular way that we must study. And theologians, great men of God, even the simple-minded men of God always say this. Let scripture interpret scripture. Don't ever isolate scripture one from the other. Let's hear what Second Timothy has to say in regard to that. It says this, 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Note what 2 Timothy has to say. It says not some scripture, not isolated scripture, but all scripture is given. Amen. And if we are to come to a, 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 a decision on any given topic, a, a, a good exegesis, a good interpretation, then we must consider the entire Word of God, not just a chapter in the book, not just a verse, two or three verses, but we must consider the entire Word of God. Now, those who are against the ministry of women in the church use two portions of scriptures to support their view. And these are, namely, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34 and 35, and 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and onwards. Let me read 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. If you have your Bibles, be good that you turn there. Let me give you a few moments to Get your Bible to open it up. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34 and 35. Let your woman keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. Let's now go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 to 15. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer a woman not to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. 
these verses are nothing less than the word of God and they cannot go ignored however these verses have to be interpreted in the light of its of their context in simple terms what are these scriptures dealing with what are the subject matters that they relate unto these two sets of scriptures relate in my thinking to the divine order of authority that God has set forth in the church remember I had said a few moments ago, we cannot isolate scripture. Scripture is related to scripture. And what is said in Corinthians, and what is said, I believe, in Timothy, it is related to the scripture. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. And by the way, it's Paul being used of the Spirit in Corinthians, it's Paul being used in Timothy, and it's Paul that's also being used in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. And let me read it to you. Turn there uh, quickly so, so you might follow me as we read together. 1 Corinthians eleven three. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is is the man and the head of Christ is God. 1 Corinthians 11.3 is the key that unlocks the truth of 1 Corinthians 14.34 and 35 and 1 Timothy 2.11-15. Let me say this. In the church and even in the world, God has set forth a divine order of authority. And whenever this divine order of authority is violated, chaos and confusion is sure to follow. Let me give you the divine order of, of authority. Number one, God first. Number two, then Christ. Then man. And then woman. Amen. God first, Christ, then man, then woman. I need to just briefly explain to you why God is first and then Christ. We must understand that God is God and that Christ is God. We believe in the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And in this sense, the Father is head over Christ. Christ in a moment of time in history. Christ became a man. Christ became a servant. He willingly submitted himself to the authority of his father as such. And he fulfilled the purpose and the will of his father to be the savior of mankind. And while Christ was upon the face of the earth, he was subject to his Father. He laid aside his glory and his power. But if you study the Word of God carefully, 
you know that there comes there come a time that all that changed that once again he was in the same platform with his father because he says in the word now father glorify me once again with the glory that i had with you in the beginning amen so please understand that christ is equal with the father but in History at a given time, while Christ was upon the face of the earth, he was subject to the will of his Father, who is our Father. Now, it is clear then that the divine order of authority was and is God, Christ, man, and the woman. Man in God's order is above the woman. He is the head. But wait, we have to be careful. We cannot carry this beyond what God is saying. For if we do carry it beyond God's intention, we are going to cause confusion, and God is not the author of confusion. Please listen very carefully to what I'm saying. All these scriptures that I've mentioned thus far deal with a wife and a husband relationship. It does not deal with single unmarried women. And let me say this. The emphasis, though teaching and ministry is in there, in those scriptures, the emphasis is more towards headship rather than ministry. However, because ministry is mentioned there, it is through the headship that the ministry has to be dealt with and not through the woman. Okay, let us go back. Let us go back to 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. And let's do some word studies. Amen? Now, I must admit, I am not a Greek scholar, but I can do word studies. Like most ministers, I use a strong concordance, which gives very good uh, studies and uh, on the original meanings of the Greek and Hebrew words of the Bible. And when we use a Strong's Concordance, looking up the word in the various verses that we have read, you'll notice in verse 34 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the word for woman is the Greek word kunu. I can't pronounce it like I said. I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not going to block my way and try and present myself as such. But Strong's Greek Concordance number 113 speaks of a kunu. And, it's, and it says this, probably from the base of 1096, especially a wife, wife, woman. In verse 35, the Greek word for woman again is once again kunu, G-U-N-E. And it's pronounced this way, G-O-O-N-A-Y, kunu, or nay, whatever. Now, with that information, let us rephrase now verse 34 and 35. What does the words, the original words say using the linguistic principle of hermeneutics? What does the word give us? The understanding? It's not so much woman that the Bible is speaking of, but wives. 
at saying, suffer a wife not to teach. Now, let's rephrase 1 Corinthians, verse 14. Let your wives keep silent in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. And if they will learn anything, let them, that is the wives, ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a wife to speak in the church. Amen. Let's go there. I want to refer to that verse in the Bible, although I read it as such. But let your woman keep silent. Now the woman there is wife. Amen. Have you got that? Look in your Bible now. 1 Corinthians verse 34 of chapter 14. Let's read together and let's rephrase it. Let your wives keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as also the law. Now, unto who are they to be obedient unto? Unto who? Unto who? Unto who? They are to be obedient to their husbands. The Bible says, submit yourself to your own husband. Let's go to verse 35. And if they, they being the wives, will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for wives to speak in the church. God is not permitting, rather, God is, God is not discriminating against the woman, that is the single woman, to minister God's word. God is just putting order into His church. Amen. So it's important that we do and have done that word study. Now, so you want to say something here? Yes. In case you're wondering, there is actually a verse in the um, Bible here I just found. Um, John 4 verse uh, 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Then they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Amen. I dealt with that last week, Ian. Remember I said that that woman had barely met the Lord. She had barely given her life over to the Lord. She wasn't even as yet baptized into the Spirit of God. Jesus ministers to her. He's alone with her at the well. Amen. He sets uh, 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 the standard that a uh, 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 woman are not to be discriminated against because he ministers God's word to her. She goes back to her village, and what does she does? She testifies of Jesus. She witnesses of him. She's not even baptized into the Spirit of God, but she ministers God's word. Because who is the word? Jesus. She speaks of him, and she brings an entire village to Christ. And he stays with them two or three days, and almost the entire village turns to Jesus. Now, amen. Let me get back to my point. We had done a word study and we said that 
these scriptures that we have mentioned speaks of wives and not women really. Now, taking the rephrasing of the scripture, let's couple it now with 11.3 of 1 Corinthians. The divine order of authority. Keep it this way. Man, then woman. Amen. Man, then woman. I'm not going to give, give us an example of the... Let me say this way. That's the divine order of authority. God, Christ, man, the woman. And whenever we violate that order, chaos enters in. Now let me give you a biblical analogy, an example of that divine order being violated. And we see the consequences thereof. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 24. Now, uh, 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 maybe we shouldn't read the chapter, it will take too long. But let me just... Uh, uh, um, awaken you to what had taken place there. Remember, God had placed Adam in charge of the garden. God had put him in charge. Uh, Genesis 2, 15 says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. At that point in time, Adam was yet alone. Eve as yet was not created. Eve as yet had not come out of the side of Adam. As such, Adam as yet had not given birth, so to say, to Eve. So I get the understanding that the true custodian, the head, was none other than Adam. Eve comes later on in the scene. Adam was in charge of the earth. Adam was in control. Adam was created before Eve. He was the head. Now, the divine order is to be respected by everyone. Not just the church. The entire world. The angels. All of God's creation must respect this divine order. And when Satan came to destroy the plan and purposes of God for man and woman... Who did he go unto? Did he go to the man? Or did he go to the woman? Who did Satan go to? Satan showed disrespect to God's order of divine authority. He bypassed the man who was in charge. He bypassed the person that was the custodian of the earth in charge of the animals, in charge of that was upon the earth, above the earth, the birds, everything, that which was in the seas. He bypassed that man, God's representative, so to say. And who did he go unto? The woman. He went unto the woman. He showed disrespect to God's order of authority, and he showed disrespect to Adam, God's representative, on the face of the earth. Now, when you read that entire chapter, do you find in any way that Eve consults with Adam? No. I don't know if Adam was there. 
I don't know if she was on one side of the garden and Adam on the other side of the garden. Well, I, I, I can assume, and I probably would assume that she was alone. I, 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 I somehow believe in my heart that Satan dealt with her when she was all alone, away from Adam for a time. He showed disrespect. He bypassed Adam. And what happened? She succumbed to the temptation. Now, Eve took matters into her own hands. Eve should have consulted with God's representative on the face of the earth who was in charge of the earth. Let's, let's, let's just reiterate what the, what the word of God, God says. I think Genesis 3. It says, let them have dominion. Amen? Mm. But who was in charge? None other than Adam. Praise God. And because Eve was deceived, the Bible says that, that Adam wasn't deceived. Eve was deceived. Now, uh, you've you got, you got to understand. You've you, you, you got to let your mind be quickened by the Spirit, by the Word of God. Amen? What was the sin of Eve? You, you know, we, 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 we get caught up uh, 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 to, what, to what the Word says, and we must get caught up with God's Word. But you know, sometimes we don't look further than our nose. <laughs> and what does the Word say? You can have all of the garden, you can eat of this tree, that tree, all the fruit, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you must not eat thereof. For in the day you eat thereof, you're surely going to die. Okay, now, hang on. This was not just a sin of disobedience. Mm. This was a sin of usurping of authority. Remember, remember, Paul had said, he suffers a woman not to teach, not to usurp authority over the man. And the sin that Eve had committed in the beginning was the usurping of authority over the man. She did not consult with her husband. Satan was very crafty. Yeah. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from yes. any tree in the garden? Come read, come read at you, come read at you. Come, come read it, come quickly. Genesis 3. Now the servant was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the servant, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat tree from you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will surely die. You will, not sure, you will not certainly die, the servant said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of them were both opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And here's the most interesting part. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the men, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The servant deceived me, and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the servant, Because you have done this, cursed to you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe, with painful labour. You will give birth to children. You, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Amen. Praise God. Yeah. Thank you, Ian. Now, I'm glad Ian read that, because I said earlier on that possibly your husband was not with her. But verse 6 says, and gave also unto her husband with her. So whether or not he was with her at that point in time, or whether she gave later, we're not sure. But she did give to her husband as such. Now, Paul says that the woman was deceived. Not Adam. Adam was not deceived. Now, notice how the devil tripped her up. He sowed he doubt. Had God really said? By the way, he said, you know, God only said that because he knows the day you eat thereof, you become like God's. He lied to her. They were already like God because they were created in the image and likeness of God already. They were already like God. They were in a state of innocence, no doubt, but they were like their God in the very image and likeness of God. The sin that Eve committed was more than a sin of disobedience. Paul says the woman transgressed the woman sinned. Not so, not the man. Now, what was her sin? What was her sin? Yes, she partook of the fruit that was forbidden to eat. But more than that, she usurped authority. She went over the head of her husband. No consultation whatsoever. And this is what Paul is dealing with concerning the ministry of women. They had to be under the rule, the headship of their husbands. Amen. Amen. Under the headship of their husbands. Now, uh, for me to further elaborate, oh, let me deal with this point first. I said that she violated the principle of God's authority. First and foremost, Satan violated it. He bypassed Adam, he went to the woman. Then the woman also violates the principle of God's divine order of authority. God, Christ, man, and the woman. She doesn't consult with her husband. She takes matters into her own hands, and she does what she feels is right in her own sight. You know? And notice, notice this carefully. What then, the Bible does say that 
uh, Adam did not transgress. Rather, it was Eve. But surely there was a sin. What was the sin? You know, the Bible says in Romans that many rather worship the creation than worshiping the creator. I am of the persuasion, the first person to violate that, the first person ever to worship the creation rather than the creator was Adam. That day when they partook of the fruit, Adam had to make a choice. He had to choose between God and the woman. And he chose the woman. Now, I said earlier on that all these scriptures that Paul uses deals with headship. It deals with the divine order of authority. Don't worry about time. It deals with the divine order of authority. Now, let's go back there to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Let's go there. It's very important. And I want you to open there to verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 11. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with the head uncovered, dishonors her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shamed, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. Now, I've done some research on this. And it's very important that you understand the, the, the meaning of this chapter. And I consulted several uh, 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 theologians, and some have much light to shed on it. Now, Adam Clark sheds light on just who are the angels. He says, first and foremost, that the angels are not the fallen angels. Secondly, they are not the leaders of the church. In fact, he says they are the elect angels. Now, this can be confirmed by the scripture, 1 Timothy 5.21. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. But I like what Dakes, Finnish Jennings Dakes has to say about this. The woman needed to wear her veil on her head as a sign of the husband's power over her thus setting an example of humility and submission to her head, the husband. And he gives several scripture references. That is verse 10, Ephesians 3, 10 to 11, Ecclesiastes 5, 6, and 1 Timothy 5, 21. The covering of a woman's head, you know the veil that we had wrangled over also about 20 years ago, splitting churches? That is, was but a picture of the headship of the husband in relationship to his wife. It spoke about submission. It was an analogy. Yes, in Eastern countries, 
uh, it's essential that they cover their head. It was the Jewish law, etc., uh, etc. Et but in the Western world these days, we don't follow that as such. But the point is this. Although we don't follow the covering of uh, the, the head through a veil or a hat or whatsoever, we do follow the divine order of God's authority. And when a woman teaches God's word or ministers God's word outside of pertaining permission from her husband to do so, then she is usurping authority. Let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Ministry, no matter who it is, whether it's a man or a woman, the biblical pattern of ministry is that you have to be released into ministry. There's someone of a higher authority that has to release you. Now, when it comes to men, in the church, it's the elders, the pastors, the apostles, the fivefold ministers that release other men into the ministry. Classic example is Moses and Joshua. Another classic example is Elijah and Elisha. Another classic example is Paul and Timothy. A higher authority must release you into ministry. And there's a, there is an authority that is higher than the wife. And that is the authority of the husband. And when the woman ministers acts under the permission of her husband, then she is usurping authority. That's why the man has to release the woman, give her the go-ahead, give her the blessing and say, now you minister, you teach God's word, you preach God's word. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Let me say this. There's several women that come to mind. Uh, but one in particular, what's her name, this woman that ministers much on TV these days? Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer. And I, I, I don't like using it because shame she's been through so much in regards to this. But I heard her say once that her husband gave her permission. He released her to do her ministry. He recognized that he had no teaching ministry. He never had that calling, but he had seen that calling in his wife and he released her. He gave her permission. Hallelujah. This is what the Bible is talking about. It's not talking about the fact that a woman cannot teach. It's talking about the fact of following a divine order of authority. Man, I'm so excited I'm fighting with my glasses. <laughs> but you hear what I'm saying? And, and praise God. Praise God. This is what the Bible is dealing with. It's releasement of ministry. Is when we don't act the way Eve acted. We don't bypass the husband. We, that is, uh, we, I mean, the woman don't bypass the husband. They show honor and respect to the husband. Don't act the way Eve acted. Amen. Now, we've got to stop there because... Ian is giving me signs. We're going way beyond our time. We're going to conclude this next week. Amen. I, 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 I feel that this teaching was what was so anointed of the Lord. Thank God for Ian's involvement as well. Amen. The young and the old working together, conveying God's instructions to God's people. So we close here this morning. But next week we will conclude on the discrimination against women. 
And I'll give you more scripture. In fact, I'm going to teach on whether or not a woman can be a minister in the word of God, in the work of God. He says, suffer a woman not to teach. But can a woman be an apostle? Can a woman be a prophet? Can a woman be a pastor? Can a woman be a teacher, an evangelist? We're going to discover. One thing I do know, a woman can witness. Amen. And one thing I do know, a woman can teach if her husband gives her the permission to do so. Amen. All right. God bless you. God keep you. And we look forward to concluding the topic next week on discrimination against women's ministries. Let us receive a benediction. Amen. Let's stand together. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. Lifting up his countenance upon you. And may, all, and may the joy and the peace of God flood your souls. And throughout the day and forevermore, may you know the presence of God. God bless you. Amen.